Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehila Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. You know, in my studies, uh, I was studying Ezekiel's temple. And you know, it's interesting because if you study it, there's only two pieces of furniture mentioned in that particular temple model. It's a table and the altar. That's it. The altar of burnt offerings and a table. So it's kind of like interesting, if you take all the furniture that God has in the tabernacle, all six pieces, it's interesting that only a table and an altar is, is in Ezekiel's temple. So it's like, okay, we're going to have burnt sacrifices, we're going to have barbecue, we're all going to sit down and eat. That's pretty cool, isn't it? The table is something that's very prophetic. Even now, I mean, there's a lot of Christian songs about coming to the table. A lot of Christian songs about coming to the table. So I've been keeping tabs on uh, the move of God and different things that are going on around us and different things and uh, revelations. And uh, just I'm going to open up in prayer before we get started here, because I really want you to be encouraged by this message, uh, not full of condemnation or to be judgmental, but the selection of Israel. And I'm going to keep this PG, but I think it's a message that we need to hear right now. So, Father, thank you for this word that as the word goes out, Father, I just pray for fruit a hundredfold. People will hear this word and and bring forth fruit a hundredfold. Father, we know that the seed falls on four different types of soil and four different geographical places, but I I just believe, Father, it's going to bear fruit because we are the children of the promise, and the promises are to us and our children's children. We ask this in Yeshua's name, amen. Bind you, Satan. You cannot steal my inheritance. So with the seduction of Israel, you know, uh, a lot of times, I think the biggest enemy we probably all have is our freedom because we have so much freedom, we don't even know what to do with it. And so many of us can be all over the map, but I want to encourage you to read the Torah portions uh, every week. You know, in every synagogue all around the world, you'll see a Torah portion going into effect. And I think... As we as Christians, we can find Yeshua in the Torah portions, but the Torah is very prophetic. You know, it's actually, and I've heard it said by Rabbi Messer, the Torah is the mind of God. So what happens when you say that the Torah has been done away with? We lose our mind. Thank you, Mike. We've lost our minds. Now, if you take a column and you just draw a line down a piece of paper and look to the left and the right, the different contrasts, if I were to tell you what's going on in our culture and in the world, boy, it's not looking really good, is it? I mean, if we just look at certain trends, not just isolated incidents, but if we just actually look at the contrast of what this culture is doing versus what God is showing us and what he's doing at Beit Yehila, how many of you know that it's a big difference? Okay, it's a real big difference. So if, if we truly are grafted in and the commonwealth of Israel and all that, and it's kind of interesting too because people want to accuse us of replacement theology and all these other things, you know. You know, so many people are beguiled in so many different ways. And we're going to talk about this 
were beguiled in a lot of different ways. But the seduction of Israel is real. Uh, this congregation believes that we are grafted in. There's wild branches. There's natural branches. The root of the olive tree is Yeshua. It's all found in Romans. How many know what I'm talking about? But with this truth, there comes a right action. Uh, Ryan and I have been doing the podcast, and the praise report is we are over 14,000 podcast listens in season three alone. Christians with Torah. So, you know, everyone loves devotionals. You'll see devotional books and you know, the Christian bookstores and all these things about devotion. And they're all good, don't get me wrong. But I want to encourage you, I'm going to double-dog dare you to read the Torah portions every week and see what God will do for you. See what he'll pull out. And if you really feel cocky, read the half Torah that goes with it, which is the reading from the prophets. So we're always trying to figure out how is God going to speak to all of us? How is he going to unite us? Uh, I believe he's going to do it through his word. You know, if we just flippantly just go into 66 books of the Bible and start reading and looking and, hey, check this out, how many of you know that we're not going to really get anywhere? But if we're all reading the Torah portions together all over the world, we could all literally be on the same page. Because if the Torah portions are prophetic, it's interesting how Yeshua is going to fulfill these fall feasts. We close out the Torah portions in the fall. And it's so important. You know, and, and it's interesting because there's so much debate right now over justice and judicial system and different things. And the Supreme Court continues to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Hey, if it's good enough the first time, it's good enough the second time. You know, I mean, when are we going to wake up to the reality that it's all around us, what's going on? I mean, even the, uh, the symbol for your Apple phone is a half-bitten apple. Now, what part of that don't you understand? I'm just saying, now, Pastor Nick, you're really digging deep here. That's a little over, that's a little far-fetched. No, it's not. Eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is when people decide what is good and what is evil. So this isn't about finding out what is evil and wrong and going after people. Hear me out on this. If you want to make it in the last days, this is my advice to you. Practice your own personal faith and draw closer to him. How many of that's the only time that you have, right? I don't lay in bed. I don't even sit there and think about my own family. Man, I wish they would do better. This one and that one. I can't believe that one and this one and my wife. And I don't lay in bed. I lay in bed and I go, Lord, woe is me, right? Because I know that if I can fix myself and I put forth that effort, guess what? I can help my wife and my children and all of you. You know, the problem with the church today, we're all sick and demented and dysfunctional. We can't even help ourselves. So what God wants us to do is come to the place where we can take care of ourselves personally, then our families, and then we can become elders in the community. That is what a true elder is, one who has his personal life in order and has his family in order, not perfect, but in order, then we can go and help our community. Then we can help Beit Tehila. So the seduction of Israel is very real. You know, I was out in the world, and I did things I shouldn't have done from the time I was 15 to 25. So when I read about the seduction of Israel, or if I get into the book of Hosea, man, sometimes I just weep. Now, I'm not going to have anybody raise their hand in here, but, but I know some of you didn't do it right when you were growing up. Now, it's a very small percentage, I know maybe 92%. But we're not even going to get into the demographics of, hey, you did it right and you didn't, because those that did it right, you're probably going to end up doing it wrong eventually. We're going to get you. So 
I'm speaking to you from experience. I'm speaking to you from my own battles and things because we know right from wrong. And, and I love what the, the Beatitudes even, even share, what Yeshua says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. For what? They shall be filled. What does that mean? It means they care. You know, you just wake up and say, I don't give a darn today. I don't give, I don't give, I don't give a darn. Yesterday I gave everything I had to, today I'm not giving a, I don't care about anything today. That's not what God wants. God wants us to wake up and say, hey, I care. I want to make the right decisions. I want to do the right things. Why? Because we have a conscience. And we don't want our conscience seared like a hot iron. So I want to kind of tell you this incredible story because if you look at the Torah portions today, they're very prophetic. You know, we're all affected. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We're all affected by what's happening in the world today, whether it's within the government, whether it's within our finances, our jobs, coronavirus, we are all affected. So let's look at this. Let's begin the seduction of Israel. Are there any Israelites in the house? Good deal. I want to encourage you, amen? I really want to encourage you. And we need to be praying for one another and encouraging one another, you know, because, you know, really and truly, if you come to the place, I, I tell them, I don't have secret sins. The Lord, no, he knows my sins. I, they're not a secret. I can't hide them. You just tell him, Lord, I've sinned, and, and I know nothing's hidden from you, you know? And that's why it's important that we come to this place of, of honesty, because he will. He'll deliver you. He'll bring you to an awesome place. And I've even noticed that in my own personal life, what he's delivered me from and what he continues to deliver me from and, and deliver me from, it's, it's an ongoing process. Let me know what I'm talking about. Why some things are easy, I don't know. Why some things are hard, I don't know. You know, I was out in the world and all that stuff. Uh, I got delivered from chewing tobacco, amen. <laughs> yeah, I was chewing tobacco. Somebody think, oh, you know, I was chewing tobacco, you know, and, and, and I was a slave to that. And I'll never forget when I got delivered from it, Soon after I came to know the Lord, the deliverance just began. And, man, I cried and sobbed so hard. It was like I was being thrashed on the carpet on the floor. My back hurt for like two weeks. I sobbed and cried so hard because I had to be delivered from chewing tobacco. So that was great. Never touched it again. I could always go back if I wanted to, but I never did that. And then, of course, I'm seven years sober, no alcohol. So, amen. And so I'm sharing this with all of you. Because if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. And I believe in you. You know, we all have these hang-ups and these habits. And we're like, gosh, can I ever get set free? And, and one of the little things I've learned, and I am learning right now, and God is just so good. I've learned this. You know, there's like, there's three steps, you know. First of all, you need to trust God. Trusting is so important. We all believe. Demons believe. But I came to the place where I want to trust God. So trusting is so important. But once we trust God, we really do, and he'll test you in all of this, by the way. Uh, it's funny, you know, when the, when the Jews started coming to, you know, from Israel to here, I'm like, oy vey, this is really happening. It made me a little nervous and stuff. But I learned to trust him, that he told me that they were coming and let them come. So I had to trust him to make that happen and make, make it come to pass. So I'm only sharing that because, you know, like I said, we, we, are, we are all in this together. But the next step after trusting is to surrender. We all have to learn to surrender to God, you know. And I love that theme that was in here today because that's what I do. You know, on Mondays, I pick the white flag, and I go over here in the corner on Monday mornings with prayer, and I wave this white flag, and I say, I surrender, I surrender. But guess what? I haven't surrendered. I feel like I have. I say I have, but God's really going to have me in this place. 
Because here's the good news, everyone. And it's not a quick fix, man. It's not like going and getting a Slurpee at 7-Eleven. Here's the deal. A lot of us are still waiting for that transformation. Like we want to be able to say, I was changed. But some of us can't say that right now because we're struggling. Come on. Come on, somebody. So when I say I quit chewing tobacco, I was transformed. When I quit drinking alcohol, I was transformed. So as, as we move into this new arena of what God is doing, giving us a spiritual audit, as we begin to approach him and be honest, and as we surrender and we really cry out to him, I'm telling you, there's going to be a transformation in your life. I mean a real transformation. You know, I hear about some of these husbands that were mean and honoring and different things, and the wife says, oh, you didn't, you didn't know Mike years ago. And I'm like, really? It was that bad? Oh, it was, it was bad. And, and then, but there was the transformation, right? And even the wife says, he's, he's really changed. So, so I'm, I'm saying this because we all can come to that place. It's never too late, and we're never too old to have deliverance. Matter of fact, I was, speak, I was speaking with Matt Moore from LL Ministry. He says, most people over 60 are the ones getting deliverance. It's the ones that are later in life are getting deliverance. And he's like, you know, it's just the way it is. You carry it for so many years, amen, and that's what happens. So let's, let's look at this lesson, and I want to pull this out of the Torah portion and tell me if it's not relevant for today. Remember now, here's the deal, everyone. You have three battles going on in your life every day. There's three battles. There's yourself, Satan, and your circumstances. How many know what I'm talking about? Okay, so what are you saying, Pat? Well, I'm saying you can't avoid those three. They're going to be coming at you. So if you can say, I've crucified my flesh, I'm taking care of my personal life, I'm locked and I'm caught, I'm crossing my T's, dotting my I's, you know, and I'm really focused on me and I'm making sure I watch what I say and I do, watching my actions, boom, check, that's great. Then all of a sudden, here's Satan over here with his little, you know, shenanigans and his wiles and his craftiness and his methodia in the Greek, his, his beguilement to you, you know, and you have discernment. You see, oh, I see... Satan working through that person a little bit, trying to get to me, and something's going on here. He's trying to set me up. And so you're on to him because you submit yourself to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. So you're, you're, you're doing fine. Then all of a sudden, somebody, some family member comes out of nowhere, a curveball, you know, or something. And you're like, oh, they got me. I was doing so well, you know. Because here's the thing, everyone. You can't fight a two-front war, let alone a three-front war. You can't. You can't fight three things at one time. You will lose every time. That's why Napoleon failed at Waterloo. That's why Hitler failed. He was trying to fight what? He's fighting in Europe and fighting in Russia. He lost. You'll never see anyone. You cannot win. You have to pick your battles. So I would say pick your faith as a battle. Battle for your faith and what you believe in and how you want to express your faith. That's the battle. That's the fight. So if I'm not interested in praying and worshiping and reading the Bible and things of that nature, then I got to go back and look at, gosh, where did I go wrong? What's, wrong? what's happened here? Am I disillusioned? Am I disappointed? What's going on here? So we're going to look at this Torah portion, Balak, in Numbers chapter 22 and verse 2, all the way through chapter 25 in verse 9. So once again, we're going to look at the seduction of Israel. This Torah portion, Balak, is, is, is going into effect right now. And it's so relevant for today. How many of you know, those of you that have been in the Hebrews of the Christian faith movement, things are accelerating, okay? Things are accelerating. Matter of fact, even Hayovel has been in the land for 16 years at Harbrakah. Can you imagine that? Since 2004, Hayovel has had a presence at Harbrakah, 
as, as a Christian family organization. How many know what I'm talking about? How many that's a long time? That's pretty cool. It's unheard of. On the Mount of Blessing, there is a Christian organization helping the Jewish farmers. How many of that's a prophecy? So people are looking for prophecies. There's your prophecy right there. Uh, there's many scriptures that talk about the Gentiles, the nations coming out, and, of course, doing what? They are, uh, of course, you know, um, yeah, assisting the Jewish people. Thank you, Audrey. I heard that under your breath. You're good. Now, here we go. Now, I'm not going to break up into some big teaching on the three parts of the book of Numbers, but I will say this, though. Here's the third part right here. It's called At the Gate to the Land. It's chapters 22 through 36. This takes place at Moab, on the plains of Moab, uh, right there across from Jericho, the Jordan River. And the timetable is a few months, just a small window, okay? A few months. And so this next generation that was, what, 19 and younger is getting ready to go into the land. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? They're positioning themselves, and this story is fascinating. I don't know why Hollywood wouldn't jump on this. It would be millions of dollars made if you could come up with these biblical stories. They're so real. They're so tenacious, and they've got such, such great lessons in them. So we go right into, and we're going to look at Numbers chapter 22 and verse 1. Here goes the geographical location here. Let's read it together. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side, Jordan, by Jericho. So if you get this picture, and we probably have some maps out there in the foyer. We'll have them out there for you. Um, but basically, you'll have the Dead Sea. You'll have, of course, the Moabites, Moab, and Edom there, there by the Dead Sea. How many of you are familiar with geography? And, and above that is Ammon, the Ammonites. And then you have King Og and Bashan and all that stuff going towards the Sea of Galilee. And of course, they had a great victory up, up north. How many know what I'm talking about? They have this great victory. Now, all of a sudden, this group of, this horde of people just come right above Moab, and they're camped out. And King Balak, he's there of Moab. He sees it. He's like, oh, my gosh. Now, he's probably wondering, they've already defeated the northern part of this side of the country, and now they're going to come after us, okay? Now, maybe that that was their, their buffer zone, their protected mechanism was King Og and Bashan and all that above Moab, that there's a buffer there, right? Well, now all of a sudden, Israel has conquered that part geographically. How many know what I'm talking about? So now he's getting worried. But what did God tell the children of Israel to do through Moses? Go around Edom and Moab. Why? Because your family, your family. Now, King Balak doesn't know that they're supposed to go around and not cause any ruckus. He's thinking, man, they've already kicked some butt up here. I read, I read this in National Enquirer. They've done a lot of damage up here in, in People Magazine. And now all of a sudden, he's thinking, they're going to come for us now. We, I got to do something. So how is he responding, King Balak, out of what? Fear. See, when you tell people you're grafted in and you're Israel, people freak out. They're scared of you. It's a natural tendency. Because if they're carrying another spirit, these spirits know who Israel is. They understand that concept, and they are, like, scared. And so it's good. It's good. How many of you know that it's good that the fear of God come on people? Amen? So as we see this, we're going to see something. Balak sends for Balaam to curse Israel. I'm giving you the Reader's Digest condensed version. Numbers chapter 22, verses 1 through 20. So Balak sends for Balaam to curse Israel. So this guy has a reputation. 
and he's just going to have him come and just curse Israel and do something because he's overwhelmed. He's like, this is my only chance because they're going to outnumber me. There's probably 2 million people and the Moabites aren't that many, you know. So they're, they're threatened. So we have Numbers chapter 22, verses 6 and 7 in regards to the curse. Let's have the public reading of scriptures. Remember, whatever you speak comes towards you. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure, I shall prevail that we may smite them and that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot that he whom thou blessest is blessed and he whom thou cursest is cursed. Does everybody see that? So he knows. And we continue on in what? In divination, let's read it. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. So once again, a conspiracy takes two or more people. So you have King Balak and the Moabites. And now all of a sudden you have who? The elders of Midian, who of course is the modern day country of Saudi Arabia. So this is what's happening. They have the rewards of divination in their hand. This guy is going to curse Israel, and we're going to give him a reward in regards to the occult, to this supernatural paranormal power, right? So Balaam was a soothsayer who practiced in the occult. His name speaks for itself, right? Balaam, Baal, Baal, right? Balaam, he practiced in the occult. Otherwise, they wouldn't bring him the rewards of what? He was not serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, knew how to do sacrifices. See, thank you, Holy Spirit. See, people have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, okay? Meaning they don't have a right spirit. It's like in the Hebrews of the Christian faith movement. You can have a lot of knowledge and, and, and know a lot of things, but you don't have a right spirit. Why? Because you are not fulfilling God's plan, his way. You're coming up with your own plan. This is the way it should unfold. This is how the two houses are going to come together. And you are a legend in your own mind. But God takes the foolish things to confound the wise. Amen? Foolish things to confound the wise. So let's look at the occult defined. What about the occult? It means hidden or concealed. A secret esoteric, beyond human understanding, mysterious, designating or of certain mystic arts or studies such as magic, alchemy, astrology, etc. So it's hidden, it's concealed. You know, it's interesting, the connotation for like, when you do like an oracle, it's like hissing and, and, and whispering. That's, that's when people do spells and stuff, you know, they'll whisper. See, that's why it's rude to whisper in front of people because it's a sign of the occult, and you don't even realize it. When you hear that, that's like a, a false oracle being given. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? So that's why it's, it, the Bible speaks against whispering uh, in public. You know, like let's say you're whispering in somebody's ear and you're looking at somebody else. How many of you that doesn't look, really look good? Like, you, you whispering about me? You, t tell me that to my face. So... The enemy does a lot of things on the outside trying to get in. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to do a lot of things on the outside trying to get in, but he's hidden and he's concealed. And so 
Thank you, Holy Spirit. So when you create an environment in here of worship and prophesying of God, those spirits are revealed. So what will happen is they'll either get rid of those spirits or they'll leave this sanctuary. Why? Because you're going to prophesy the things of God, the very oracles of God. See, it says our sons and daughters will prophesy. That means to speak the very oracles of God. See, the familiar spirits want to speak the very oracles of divination and the occult. So once again, think of the word hidden and concealed. Was Balaam hidden and concealed away from the children of Israel? Did they even know what he was doing? Did they even know what was going on? No. Why? Because it was hidden. It was hidden. So Balaam arrives and blesses Israel in Numbers chapter 22, verses 36 through 41, in chapters 23 and 24. Isn't that exciting? Balaam what? He blesses Israel, does he not? So basically, if you're trying to figure out, was Balaam a man of God or not, he had a knowledge of God, okay? So if you think about what God did, God can use evil to bless Israel. Did you know that? You know, I mean, I want you to think about that. So here's the deal. So God is saying, you know what? I really don't want this guy to go and curse my people because they're not cursed. So Balaam is not going to curse them. He's going to speak the very oracles of God over Israel as a Gentile, as, as, as a prophet, as somebody from the nations or a, a, a you know, responsible party from, from the nations that's not Israel. So God says, I'm going to take this guy and I'm going to have him prophesy very blessings, three blessings over Israel. And so that's what God does. Why? Because God can do that. And was Balaam open to that? Of course he was. He was open to that, was he not? You know, King Saul prophesied. Did you know that? He was full of jealousy and murder, but he prophesied. See, people can prophesy and do things and still have, you know, another spirit, or they can have other motives. And what did Yeshua say? You'll know them by their fruit. See? So that's what's important. So look at Numbers 24.10. Let's read it. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he smote his hands together, and Balak said unto Balaam, I call thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast altogether blessed them these three times. So he wasn't, he wasn't too impressed, was he? It wasn't working for him. See, why is this so important? Listen to me. Right now in the earth, people want to bring harm to Jewish people. Listen to me. Nations want to harm Israel. Seriously. And, and, and I know I wrote it on here. Maybe I jumped the gun a little bit. And I, and I want to say this. I think I wrote it down. I probably did. Probably put it down here later, but... I'm going to go ahead and just say it now. I'll say it again. If you bring harm to the Jewish people, it will come to you. Always bless the Jewish people. Let me say that again, folks. I don't care how you twist it, how you turn it, how you look at it. If you bring harm to the Jewish people, it will come to you. Always bless the Jewish people. So in Proverbs 26.2, let's read what it says here. Proverbs 26 and verse 2. Are you guys ready? 
I'm just making sure, okay. Because now Kathy's ready. You like that? What does it say? As the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. Nobody can curse you personally and bring harm to you. It doesn't come without a cause. Okay? So think about curses. Iniquities is what's handed down. And who's the father of iniquity? Satan. He was the first one to have iniquity. And as we understand supernatural laws, spiritual laws, God had an incredible kingdom up there. And Lucifer, Satan, right? He's an archangel. He was the chief of the angels. How many of that he churned on Yahweh? Okay, there was, there was war in heaven. How many know what I'm talking about? We know this, okay? This is before we were even around. This, is, this stuff is going on. So what was he able to do with the cherubs? Get one-third of them to go with him. So take it literally, literally. My personal thought is this. When one-third of those angels did what they did, how many of that God is a creator? He's created all kinds of stuff. Have you seen how many different bugs are on your back porch? I mean, there's just everything, little gnats. I mean, he's a creator. He creates so many incredible things. I personally believe he created us in his image to fill the void of one-third of those angels that fell. So thank you, Holy Spirit. Now, now this is a beautiful love story. I got goosebumps right now all over my body just thinking about this. So God creates all kinds of things, and they're digging stuff up. Don't deny science, okay? They're digging up all kinds of creatures and hobbits and giants. How many know what I'm talking about, right? They're digging up like Danny DeVito. You know, look, I know, that's funny. So what I'm saying is that, but then all of a sudden God says, you know what, I'm going to create something in my image, made in my image. That's when all hell broke loose. Because hear me out on this. As far as the homo sapien race, we're the only creation or creatures that have salvation and redemption. Animals can't reason. So when you think about how hell was created, it was for the fallen angels, not for men. Men choose to go to hell. So when you, I've had time to think about all this, people. I, I do, I'm a deep thinker. I think about deep things of God because it's, God is huge, huge. He's huge. He's big. He's a big God, right? Even the angels say, why are you so mindful of them? Because he likes to watch us. He likes us when we choose good. He likes it when we're tested and we pass the test. Because why? God created us with a free will. Amen? We have a free will. And why God allows all this, I don't know but he does. I liken Satan to this junkyard dog on a chain, you know, just, you know, and he can just do whatever he wants to use him to his own benefit. Satan doesn't get away with anything that God doesn't allow. Matter of fact, Yeshua said, I came to destroy the works of Satan. So his death, burial, and resurrection, how I many that he gave us the, kings, the, the keys to the kingdom? We have the keys to the kingdom because of Yeshua. And the rule of this world has been judged, but the sentence hasn't been carried out. That's why it's so important. See, in the occult, there's no atonement. You're God. You don't need atonement. You call the shots, right? 
But we have the three great sins of Balaam in Numbers chapter 22, verse 1 through chapter 24, verse 1. Three great sins of Balaam. Once again, if you want these PowerPoint notes, PowerPoint slides, just contact Kathy. She'll email it to you. Number one is the way of Balaam. There's a way of Balaam. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. This was the love of the wages of unrighteousness and coveting the gifts of Balak. You see that? This was the love of the wages of unrighteousness and coveting the gifts of Balak. The wages of unrighteousness and coveting the gifts of Balak. Does everybody see that? Numbers chapter 22, verse 7. Numbers chapter 22, verse 17. Numbers chapter 22, verse 37. And then, of course, Numbers chapter 24, verse 11. So there is a way of Balaam. Number two, we have the error of Balaam. Jude 11. This was accepting the wages of unrighteousness for his services and giving the secret of how to get God to curse Israel. Jude 11, 2 Peter 2, 15. Numbers 31, verses 8 and 16. We're going to see later on that Balaam is going to be killed in battle. His life will be taken. I believe had he not given the instructions to Balak on how to get Israel to fall, he would have still been alive. Because remember what he did? He blessed Israel three times. He didn't curse them. But because of his reputation, because of who he thought he was, he would give an inside scoop and show Balak what to do in regards to causing Israel to fall. There's the answers to the test. See, we're there right now, everybody, and I can't tell you enough. You know, it was interesting. I found some charges on my Amazon uh, account, and I was paying for Cinemax and Showtime on my Fire Stick, and I didn't even know I had it. You know, when you, when you have a fire stick, you can choose what you can watch. What I'm telling you guys is that, I'm telling you, we have to practice purity. Don't settle for stuff that's not purity. Don't look at things that are not pure. And you got to fight every day and on your phone and your TV. But I'm just telling you right now, I'm not here to judge anyone, call anybody out. I'm just saying that God wants purity, and you can do it. You can do it. You know, you've come a long ways. You've overcome a lot of things. But this is a real battle and a real war because he's trying to disqualify us. He's trying to beguile us, and we're going to talk about that. So we have the way of Balaam, the error of Balaam, and then we have the doctrine of Balaam, last but not least. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, this was to teach Balak that if he would give his most beautiful women to the Israelite men and cause them to commit idolatry and adultery, that God himself would curse Israel. Numbers 25, verses 1 through 9. Numbers 31, verse 18 and 16, or 8 and 16. Chapter 31, verses 8 and 16. This is for the audio. So doctrine is what you do. Theology is what you think. So he's laying this out. Now, would you guys agree? Would you agree that when you look at the Torah portion and they're getting ready to go into the promised land, this next generation, you know, that the two things that they were faced with was the occult and sexual immorality? Would you agree? 
a 3,500-year-old story that they were faced with the occult, which is hidden, the esoteric, the mysterious, things were going on around them, and that sexual immorality was prevalent at Baal Peor. How many know what I'm talking about? Would you agree that today it's all about the occult and sexual immorality? You know, and, and what's the results of some things that, like this? Well, broken marriages, bad relationships. You get hurt and you hurt people. I look back when I had girlfriends and I loved girls and girls loved me and it was a vicious cycle. How many know what I'm talking about? Come on. Oh, it's great when you hurt somebody. Yeah, I told her goodbye. But then you fall in love and she tells you goodbye. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, you didn't cry for her. Come on, somebody. We hurt people and we've been hurt by people. Boy, dating is so wonderful. Well, you know, it's like my wife and I, you know, I'm learning so much. You know, and all you're getting, get understanding. You know, when you have seven children, you go through changes. Now, I can't testify to this. I've not had seven children. You know, so sometimes I like to think of my wife as, you know, hey, you know, I'm a little older than her, and I got me a young little chickity-doo, you know. I got me a young chick. And then I realized, you know, she's got seven kids, and she's in her 40s now. You know what I'm saying? So we keep the marriage pictures up by the fireplace, and I look at them. Hey, honey, come look at this. She goes, I ain't looking at that. Surprised she didn't move it, you know. Let's replace it with like our wedding vow renewals or something, you know. Put some pictures up like, you know, our right age. That's what we do a lot of times, even in our ministries or our businesses. We put this new picture up of me like when I was 21 and hair and everything. And That's not Pastor Nick. This is high school yearbook. What's he putting out on the church cards? You ever, you ever see that? Come on, update, people. Update. Show them the real you. Hair today, gone tomorrow. It's, so, it's such vanity, you know? I'm hanging out with Ryan, and he cracks me up. You know, he, he, he's the warrior. I'm the sage, you know? He's the warrior. I'm the sage. You go get him, Ryan. Here, take my sword too, man. I'm... I'm meditating back here. I'm saging it. I'm a sage. It's true. It's so true. Work smarter, not harder. So let's continue on. So there is the way, the error, and the doctrine. This is all in your New Testament, is it not? There's no secret weapon that the enemy has. There's nothing new under the sun, folks. Everything we're faced with, Adam and Eve were faced with. The apostles were faced with. Everything. Everything. So Balaam was hidden, let's go to that slide. Balaam was hidden, the occult, from the children of Israel, but was still able to do great damage. Listen, the children of Israel had no idea what King Balak was trying to do through Balaam. We don't even know how many enemies Beit Tehillah has right now that are conspiring against us. Pastor Russell goes through the comments, and some of them are not kosher. They're a little off. They're not kosher at all. I think they're unclean. A lot of accusations. And I don't even want to know. So he looks at her, whatever. And I, think, I just say, take comments off. Why? Because we don't need your comments. I don't know where you're going. I'm going to Israel. 
You go to the comment box. I'm going to Mount Gerizim. That's all I'm saying. Those people, that's your life? I feel sorry for you. Where do you live? Oh, I live in a comment box. Delete. Unfriend. Delete. All I'm doing is practicing my faith. If you want to go, go. If you don't, don't. That's more for me. Okay? So think about it. And it's so funny, the critics and the people that come against us, they don't even want to do what we're doing. What does it matter? Like I'm taking their spot. No, I'm going to Israel, not you. No, I'm going. I'm Jewish. You're not. They don't even care to go to Israel. So what are you fighting me for? You can go to Vegas. Go to Vegas. Go. Go to Miami. Go to Miami. Go on a cruise. They're great. You'll get on the boat and they'll never let you off. <laughs> a cruise from hell. <laughs> Just sit right back in your hair until, ah, a three-month tour. <laughs> Gilligan? <laughs> you guys laugh, but it's so true. I've never been on a cruise, ever. And it looks like I'll never be on one. Just, just one strike after another, you know? Like, most ships have their own coronavirus before it even hit. You know what I'm talking about? Carnival Cruise Lines, everyone's sick. The seduction of Israel, Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 18. Now we're going to see the dirty deed. There's the reference. Remember now, they're at the gates of the land, from me to the sound booth. There's Jericho, there's the Jordan River. It's, I'm, you're there. And then he comes in and puts a hit on that generation that's supposed to go in. Numbers 25, verses 1 through 3, let's read it. And Israel abode in Sheatim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab, and they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. Look at how much information is in there. They committed whoredom, they committed idolatry, all in that little, little portion of Scripture. And what happened? Look at this. Finish it up. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. They're 19 and under, and now they're going to take a hit. They've been given the promise and the opportunity to go into the promised land like all of us, and you guys think I'm nuts, and why does he keep talking about this? Because it was talked about 3,500 years ago. Listen, if you could live anywhere, where would you want to live? I'd want to live in Israel. I don't know about you. Where else do you want to live? If you had a choice. Four sins of the people. Let's just break it down. Here are the four sins. Number one, whoredom with the daughters of Moab, right? Number two, sacrifices to other gods. Number three, ate the sacrifices dedicated to other gods. Number four, they bow down to other gods. Now, this is the reversal to the golden calf. The golden calf 
Idolatry turned into sexual immorality. You'll see this is synonymous. Idolatry is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is idolatry, okay? But in this particular case, sexual immorality came into the camp. Hey, look, some new girls. Hey, some new gods. And that's what took place. They forsook the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's why Solomon fell like he did. That's why God took the kingdom away from him. It's because of that. Because these wives took him away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You guys understand what I'm saying? So we have God's judgment in Numbers chapter 25, verses 4 and 5. We have God's judgment, just like in the book of Isaiah. Let's read Numbers 25, verses 4 and 5. Let's read it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. Keep reading. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. Listen to me. Judgment of God began with the leadership. Okay? So what are you saying, Pastor Nick? You not only need good, strong leadership in the Hebrews of the Christian faith movement with integrity and character, you, you need that. Because what's going to happen if you have bad leadership? They're going to be judged. Anybody who's leading in this movement better fear God. Everything I'm speaking to you is based upon the Scriptures by the Holy Spirit. It bears witness. How many know what I'm talking about? I'm like the the estate attorney. I'm trying to tell you what's coming to you. Now, you can sit back, and hopefully you'll get to do some evangelism and win some people to the Lord. That's always good. And hopefully the rapture. Those are your two best things that you got going for you right now. But how busy are you? Can I see your uh, day planner? Have you really been leading people to the Lord? Do you know when the rapture is? You see how we're just set up for failure. We're set up to sit on our duff and not pursue the things of God. We're set up. Imagine that. I'm telling you, as Christians, we have more coming to us than we're experiencing. That's why Beit Tehill is here, to mess up everybody else's life. To show the church, look what you get to do and throw it out there to the people. And people can do one of those things or roll their eyes, but it's true. And some people are going to be like, Pastor Nick, I like what you said. I'm in. Come on. Come on. I don't care if you've been here 10 years, 15 years. You come in those doors, you say, I'm in, you're in. There's no seniority. You're in. Remember, it's just like what we'd agreed to, right? The pay. Remember that? We agreed to the pay of Yeshua. One guy just slips in and gets the same amount of money. But you paid him. Hey, what did you agree to? I already agreed to the, to the sum. I already agreed to the wages. You guys understand what I'm saying? That's how God works. So now the judgment's going to begin with the leadership. And God has spared us the false prophets. Why? Because we have the written prophets right here. We're not going to listen to false prophets. We got the written prophets right here. The prophets already foretold that Beit Tehillah would come back. The, the prophets have already foretold that people would come out of the nations that are not Jewish and support Jewish people. The prophets have already foretold it. So how could, how could Hayyavel be at Harbrakov for 16 years unless it's God? How, how could they do that? Do you see where you expand the promises of God? 
instead of just sitting on your blessed assurance. Numbers 25.9, we're cruising along here. You guys are doing so well in the summer months. Just remember, it's going to get hotter. What does this say? Let's read it. And those that died in the plague were 20 and 4,000. 24,000 people died from a plague at Baal Peor. What's going on with the coronavirus right now? It's going away, isn't it? Numbers are decreasing. Hospital beds are laid vacant. No, it's climbing, isn't it? More cases. Do you guys understand what I'm saying to you? Is the Torah portion relevant? Yeah. There's a coronavirus right now all over the world. And it's spiking. Deuteronomy 4.3, Baal Peor. Let's read it. By the way, that last verse, 24,000, that's the last verse found in the Torah portion, Balak. That's like drop the mic. 24,000 people died of the plague. You can go home now. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor for all the men that followed Baal Peor. The Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. Let me tell all of you something. Sexual immorality is bad. It's, it's horrendous. It's terrible, really. Don't coddle sexual immorality. Don't okay it. At any level, nothing, nothing. Call it out. Renounce it. Sexual immorality is bad, bad, bad. It's really, really bad. So bad that people died from a plague. And leadership died. Come on, how many people in the church have died that were leaders because they were in sexual immorality? How many lost their ministers or ministries because of it? I'm telling all of this from my heart. I'm telling you what God's saying. In Psalm 106, verses 28 and 29, just to reiterate this Baal Peor, they joined themselves also into Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions and the plague break in upon them. The scripture interprets scripture. Now let's, let's move to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 10, 8. Well, Pastor Nick, that's the Old Testament. That's the, the Jews in the past. Really? What is Paul saying here? Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. The number is 23,000. It's referenced. I don't know why, but there's a difference of 1,000. I don't know. Maybe 1,000 was the leaders that were taken out and they counted them as part of the plague. I don't know. But this is the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Corinth in the New Testament. This word fornication is the Greek word pornuo. Pornuo. It's where we get pornography. Okay? It means to act the harlot, indulge unlawful lust, practice idolatry. See? So when you don't stay in the confines of your marriage and you go outside of that and commit adultery, see... It's really a form of idolatry because now all of a sudden you're, you're kind of rebranding marriage or whatever you want to do. You're, you're creating a God, see? So that, that's right there. Let, neither let us commit fornication as some of them did. In 1 Corinthians 10.8, real quickly, I don't want to go there too long, but I want to just say the five tests that he tells the church of Corinth. He says, don't lust, don't be idolaters, don't do fornication, don't tempt the Lord, and last but not least, don't murmur. How are you guys doing on murmuring? How many of you have gone 30 seconds? 30 seconds, no murmuring? Good. Is there murmuring going on in our culture? Are people murmuring about things? I'm telling you, I was, I was, at, my, I was at my car mechanic shop 
Olin Mott on Highway 60 next to Jesse's. I take my car there. They do a great job. So I got my car, and I'm sitting there, and this guy starts a conversation with me. And I said, man, if I'd have known I was going to wait, I'd have brought a book because he was reading a book. I said, I compliment you. You, you brought a book to read while, you're, while they're fixing your car. I don't, I don't really have it. I said, oh, wait a minute. I said, I got a New Testament down here. And the guy looked at me, and he says, oh, man, you're not going to start preaching, are you? And I went, do you, do you want me to? I have it. It's got Psalms, Proverbs, and New Testament. He goes, no, no, no. So anyway, I, I just kind of put it back, you know, because I was like, oh, it's game on now, right? And he just started talking about all these things, and everything was negative. Sports, baseball, masks, vehicles. He talked about Biden. And I, I was, like, getting a little squirrely. I'm like, I got to get out of here. I, I got to dump water on this guy or something. Or do I got I to gotta get out of here. And, and he was checking out. He was negative. He walked out the door. He was negative. And, and, and the, the owner was just like, yeah, that's, that's who he is, you know. He was like rolling his eyes. Like, but it's like, and I was thinking to myself, what a miserable life that you're just negative and negative and just browbeaten. And I'm like, oh, man, I just wasn't really used to it. I'm like, I've never seen anything like that. You know, it's like Archie Bunker or something. I don't know. It was like, it was like, wow, that's the culture. That's people. That's the baby boomers, some of them. Some of them, because he was a baby boomer. And I'm thinking, man, you know, wow, what are we doing? So think about it. So I'm going to lead you into some, some other scriptures here to show you the enemy's plan. But we have, of course, uh, Phineas, Zimri, and Cosby in Numbers 25, verses 6 through 15. So we know that Pincus takes matters in his own hands, and he has the spear, and he, he, he rectifies the situation. Matter of fact, they say that uh, if you look at the commentary and different things, that this act was committed outside the eastern gate of the tabernacle. It was like just in your face, which is like today. In your face, sexual immorality. He's like, not on my watch. And he, he caught him in the act, and that's PG, but psh, he speared him through there <laughs> right in the act, you know. He didn't wait, set up a time. Can you meet me at 10 o'clock? You know, you know, you know, they're gone. And God's like, I'm going to bless him. I'm going to give him a covenant of peace. Now, should we go around with a spear and stab people? Probably not. There's 7 billion people. That's a lot of killing with spears. But if you look at the, the principle, there was a rise of indignation. And that judgment was cast. And Pincus was a priest. You know, so, so once again, you can see this being played out. And then, of course, you know, like I said, the enemy's plan is in Numbers chapter 25 and, and verse 18. Here's the, the enemy's plan uncovered. Let's read this verse. For they vex you with their wiles, wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a prince of Midian, their sister, which was slain in the day of the plague for Peor's sake. These, these Moabite men who were leaders and even elders of Midian, they sent their own beautiful daughters into the camp to prostitute themselves. Do we not see that today in our culture with movie stars? These, these wealthy families and the daughters are nothing but whores and prostitutes and have all that money and that entertainment and all that fame, and they're just a whore. I mean, what is the father thinking? You know, that's horrible. You know, it's horrible. So I want to break down these three words because you need to understand, what are we up against? For they vex you with their wiles. For they vex you. Check this out. 
This word vex is zarar. It means to cramp. See, they come up on you. They, they infiltrate you. They come in your life. They, they cramp. An adversary, to be in affliction or affliction, to besiege, to bind or bind up, to be distressed or be in distress, to bring distress, an enemy, and to oppress. Amen? Do you guys see that? And oppress. Do you see that? That's what, that's what, that's, look at that. That's what a vex is. Amen? That's what a vex is. What about the word wiles? With their wiles wherewith they have beguiled you. What about the wiles? It's nakel. It means deceit, to defraud, act treacherously. It comes from 5230, nakal. Now, once again, we have vex and wiles, and now this word, let's go to beguiled now. Look at beguiled. Nakal, to defraud, act treacherously. Listen, how many of you know that this is unwise associations? Unwise associ- How many of you are unequally yoked if you want to be pure versus someone who's sexually immoral? How many of you there's a difference? I mean, it's like the summer now. Have you seen all these parties and stuff with the coronavirus? They're just on top of each other. Like you can't really have some distance, have some spacing here, but they're just like on top of each other and just breathing this stuff. They're just asking for it. Young people are like having coronavirus parties. Who can get it first? And you win. You win something. You put some money in the kitty and, oh, I got coronavirus first. They go to the hospital or whatever, or the signs, and they win something. This is how idiotic it's become. Playing with the plague. So there's vex, wiles, and beguiled. Look at Ephesians 6.11 in the New Testament. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You need the armor of God. He's crafty. He's smart. One of the ways he tries to get to me is through other people. He knows I'll stay the course. I've literally been assaulted on the course of righteousness and the path of holiness and just been assaulted on the path. Like something just came to me. I'm like, whoa, what was that? Honey, you're not going to believe this? I was assaulted on the path that was leading to God. They just came out of nowhere and tried to get me. I was shaken. But that's what he'll do. He'll he'll go to any lengths to get you, to trip you up, to get you in a frame of mind. He'll do anything he can to discredit ministries or ministers of the church. He'll do anything he can to get you thinking over that. So what does this word mean? Think about this word wiles in the Greek. You ready for this? It's the Greek word methodia. See, he's got a method for you. It means traveling over, travesty or trickery, to lie in wait. See, Satan was just waiting for that next generation to spring and get them before they enter the promised land. See, we're right there at the gate, everybody. I just, I, I had a Zoom call with, with, with you know, Tommy Waller and Zach Waller. We were talking about, you know, getting over there and helping and things. So the enemy's at the door. But this opportunity's there for all of us, I'm telling you. And, and guess what? We're going through the door. But there's an adversary, Right? Going back to Genesis 3.13. See, there's nothing new under the sun. Look at Genesis 3.13. Let's read it. Look, beguiled. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. That was my girl, okay? The woman. It's the blame game. Remember Adam? 
It's the woman you gave me. You can play the blame game all you want. It's the kids, it's the wife, it's the husband, it's the church, you know. But, but, but the serpent beguiled me. What does this word mean? So what did the serpent do? Let's look at this word. It's nasha, number 5317, the Strong's Concordance. It means to lead astray, mentally to delude, morally to seduce. You know, if you go back and look at the Olivet Discourse, if you look at Matthew 24.10, real quickly here, if you look at it, it's the church. It's in regards to the church. Look at this. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Matthew 24.10. That's within the church. That's not the world. See, people are offended at Beit Tehillah because of the message in the community, because of what we stand for. They're offended. See, we've not been persecuted yet. But it goes on to say in verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Because iniquity shall abound, that's lawlessness. The love of many shall wax cold. Which love is that? That word is agape love. How many of that God wants us to have agape love? There's affection, there's arrows, there's friendship, there's affection, but agape love is God's love. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Think about it. To seduce holy or deceive, uh, that's, what, that's what's going to happen here. Because look, let's, let's, let's move over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. Let's read it, beguiled. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Right here, the apostle Paul is the best man at the wedding. Just like Moses was at Mount Sinai. God chose from the tribe of Benjamin the apostle Paul, to go to the house of Joseph and to be what? The best man. Remember what John the Baptist said, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. He's part of the party, the wedding party, right? The wedding party, okay? That's what he's a part of. So think about it. Think about that, the wedding party. And he's telling the church of Corinth this. They're in pagan idolatry and Dionysus and Greek mythology and everything. But look what he goes on to say. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. What does this word beguiled mean? Exipateo. What an awesome Greek word. Exipateo. That's, that's beguiled. Exipateo. To seduce holy, deceive. Thank you, Holy Spirit. One of the biggest deceptions in the church today is basically we should have nothing to do with Jewish people or Israel. The church has been beguiled. I'm sorry. And I don't want to hear this. Well, you know, and we take these verses out of context. Well, he came to his own. His own didn't receive him. See, they didn't want the gospel. They didn't want Jesus. So we're going to punish them now. Oh, and they said, let his blood be on us and our children's children. See, they're cursed, Christ killers. Did you hear Eliezer's testimony 
Hinoch's testimony. Here are, here are, here, here's Eliezer in Chicago, Hinoch in New York. They were beat up because they were Jewish. And as they were being beat up, they were called Christ killers. What are you saying, Pastor? Anti-Semitism is real. For the Jews to be blinded to the Messiah is self-explanatory. Does anybody understand that? It is self-explanatory. But this is exopateo, to seduce holy, to deceive. You know, we say, oh, we got to stay out of Israel. There's a tribulation in a temple, and the Antichrist is going to sit in there. Like America's going to get off the hook. Demons know no bounds, people. They can climb your living room walls just as well as they can be in the temple of God. I know this is a tough message, but it needs to be preached because we've got to change the ignorance. We've got to wake up. Look at 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Does everybody see that? He is the prince of this earth. Finishing up here, war against Midian. War against Midian. Numbers chapter 31, verses 1 through 18. For the sake of time, I'm not going to get in. You've got to get into these stories. I read this over and over and over, and I look at it. Why? Because I'm trying to learn how the enemy works. I know what sexual immorality is. It's real easy. Temptation's easy. Lust is so easy. Lust is ever wanting, never giving. Lust is ever wanting, but never being satisfied. But love satisfies. This one guy was writing, he said, the opposite of pornography is prayer. He said, the highest form of intimacy with God is speaking to him, and he speaks back to you. He says, that's intimacy. But what have we done? We've substituted it with pornography, which is billions of dollars, totally corrupting our culture, totally wasting away people's lives when they could have the Father's love and escape all of that, amen? God will give you a way of escape, amen? I'm just trying to help you. I'm, I'm speaking from experience. Numbers chapter 31, verse 8, war against Midian, let's read it. And they slew the kings of Midian beside the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi and Rechem and Zur and Hur and Reba, five kings of Midian. Balaam also, the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. Balaam died for what he did to Israel. I'm telling you right now, that's a lesson to be learned. You wish harm on the Jewish people, harm will come to you. This congregation is going to bless the Jewish people. We're going to bless them with everything we have. We're going to bless them. Once again, if you bring harm to the Jewish people, it will come to you. This is what I'm teaching my pastor friends and my Christian friends. Always bless the Jewish people. Always. Amen? Let's finish it up with the New Testament because he's going to the church of Corinth. This is it. This will help you. I read these verses over and over and over again. I, I just, you've got to do it. You've got to get it in your spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through 20. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Now, here's another beguilement. Oh, see, I'm the temple of God. There can't be another temple. Where's that in the Bible? Just because Jesus predicted the temple would be destroyed doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love the temple. But that's what we do. Well, see, he destroyed it. Yeah, but he built another one, didn't he? And there's going to be something else going up here, probably. 
Do you think as Christians we should speak ill of the temple or temple mount? Why would you do that? I've been on the temple mount. It's powerful. You can feel the presence of God in that place. I'm telling you, that was probably the most holy place I've ever been to. I've ever, only one time I was on the temple mount. Go ask Bill Carter and Ryan if the temple mount's not holy. Go ask them after this. So here we go. I know we read this and it's like a cliche. Oh, yeah, whatever. No, this is, this is what we need to do. Let's read it. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Keep reading. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? See, you got to get this in your spirit. My body is not my own because God wants to reside in you. Remember, he breathed into you. You were a dirt ball. He formed a dirt ball. Go into your bed right now. There's a bunch of dirt balls. He formed a dirt ball, and he breathed, and it became a living soul. He, that's the first intimate verse. He put his lips on the dirt ball. No, think about it. He formed us out of dirt, and he breathed his lips on us, and we became a living soul. It's alive. This word fornication, in, in, in the New American Standard, it's flee immorality. It means a sin. So it can, it can, the connotation here in the Greek is a little more, it's more broad. So just flee immorality, any form of it. Does everybody see this? Last but not least, the very last verse. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, if you get a chance to read the half Torah, Micah 5, 6 to 6, 8, you're going to thoroughly enjoy that. So once again, this Wednesday night is Tamu 17, the golden calf incident. You're going to go three weeks out to the end of July. I don't know the exact date. And you're going to come to the 9th of Av. So you got the golden calf incident, Tamu 17, the 9th of Av, the destruction of both temples. It's called the three weeks of affliction. This is not about doom and gloom and something bad's going to happen. But let me tell you something. When I taught on the season of summer, did you notice the fourth, fifth, and sixth months, bad things happened historically? So what are you saying, Pastor Nick? Be on your guard. Don't go around judging everybody else about their, their sexual purity. Judge yourself. Get your own self in order. Amen. And just repent. If you've seen something you should have seen, repent. Look at things that are good and whole. So, Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, that he was sent to the Gentiles. And, Father, we want to just thank you for, for purity. We want to thank you that uh, you'll never tempt us or allow this temptation to overcome us, that there's a way out. And uh, we thank you for that, just like Joseph. You know, he, he left Potiphar's wife with his garment in her hand. He, he got out of Dodge. He got out of there, Father. And that's just a great example for the house of Joseph that's at Beit Tehillah right now. So, Father, thank you for everyone here. You, you love us. We're good enough, and we're your sons and your daughters. And just thank you for your grace. Your grace 
uh, gives us the ability not to sin. And we just thank you for that. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thank you.